Good morning, One Chapel. Hey, thank you so much for showing up and worshiping Jesus with us. Great to have you here. I'm Brent Parsley, and I am absolutely thrilled to study the scriptures with you here this morning. Um, as we get started here, I, I want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever, like, just lost it? Like, I'm really, really angry. Have you ever just, something happened, or you're driving down the road, or your kids do something, your friend does something, have you ever just absolutely lost it? Now, don't tell us what you did, but, but I have. And if you have, just let me know in the chat. Like, just, just give me a thumbs up or something. Just please let me know that I'm not alone. I remember this one time when my kids were littler. And we were going to watch a movie. I think my wife was not around in the afternoon. And so we were going to watch a movie together. And so I had all the little kids. And they just, it just been one of those days, you know. They'd been running around and screaming and fighting and arguing. And it had just been so loud and so long. You know what I'm talking about. And so we went back to the closet to pick out a movie. And so we're scanning through our DVD selection. And we couldn't find one. And they're just still, they're fighting and they won't agree on one. And they're pushing each other and they're yelling and screaming. Well, I had taken a stack of CD jewel cases about this tall, if you know what those are. The, the case of the CD comes in. And I was holding that in my hand while the kids are running around me. And they're screaming and yelling. And I had had enough and I lost it. I just took the CD jewel cases and I threw them on the ground, which of course is tile, and they just shattered. Like it was not the reaction I was expecting. And they went everywhere, and my kids just flipped out. <gasps> what happened to dad? And I, I was so furious. And I've never forgotten that story. And do you know why I've never forgotten that story? It's because from time to time, my kids will just pop in and say, hey dad, remember when you got so mad you threw the CD jewel cases on the ground? And they like to bring it up and remind me time after time after time. They don't let me forget. By the way, if you want some more helpful parenting tips, you just follow me on my Facebook page. Here's the thing. I think when we look around our culture, we all kind of have had experiences like this. We look around culture, it just seems like people are angry. You know, I, we can point to a lot of things that we think contribute to that. Like we think social media contributes to that. We think that cable news is a part of that. We think that divisive politics uh, contributes to that. We think about injustices, real injustices that are happening in our world. But when you look around, it just seems to me like people are, they're angrier than they used to be. You know, I, I've been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years. And I haven't always felt like, it's not always been like it is right now. Like, it just seems to me like people, they used to be around like a, maybe a three or a five out of 10. But now, today, everybody's just like at a solid eight. Like, everybody's just mad. Everybody's upset. Everybody's angry. They're at an eight. So when we go to work or we come home or we go to church, we're already there at an eight. And somebody says or does one thing, and boom, we just hit 10% in an instant. We just go to 10 in a second. And people are like, whoa. Dude, what is your deal? I mean, why the disproportionate response? That was a little thing that I did. That's because all it took was a tiny push to get us over the edge. And then we say something that hurts people. We hurt people, we hurt strangers, we hurt loved ones. We hurt people. That's because we're angry people and we're angry at other people. And so today, I want you to know that Jesus has something to say about this. And if he's serious then we've got some work to do. Most of you know we're in a series called What If Jesus Was Serious? And we're working through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're trying to discover what Jesus really meant. What did he mean when he was preaching this sermon so that we can follow him in the Jesus way? Now, I want you to remember, 
Just as a review, the Sermon on the Mount, it's not a list of to-dos that we're supposed to try to tick off. It's not a, a set of positive lifestyle principles that Jesus is telling us we're supposed to try to measure up and to live by. No, the Sermon on the Mount is a life-changing invitation to join King Jesus in bringing what's up there down here. It's an invitation to life in the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a description of that life. Dallas Willard, author and theologian, he said, God's kingdom is where what God wants done is done. And that's what we want too. So through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not just giving us some moral commands. He's actually, he's unveiling a whole new way to be human. And it looks different than what anybody's seen before. But the good news is Jesus pioneered it himself and he invites us to follow him in his way. And we're trying to figure out the Jesus way. So in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what it says. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister, they've got something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, this section of the Sermon on the Mount is what's known as the antithesis. It's a series of six statements made by Jesus. And they all start with, you have heard that it was said, but then Jesus continues on. See, rabbis, they would commonly use this phrase when they were explaining the Torah. You've heard that it was said, and they would explain their thoughts on that passage of the Torah. But Jesus comes along, and he's the first one to add, but I tell you this. So everybody's like, what? What did he say? Because what Jesus is doing, he's elevating his own authority, even over the text. And sometimes he's even changing it. So everybody listening is like, who does this guy think that he is? Now, Jesus is obviously quoting here in this passage from Exodus 20, 13, right? From the 10 commandments. And that verse, of course, says, you shall not murder and Jesus continues on, though, and he says, anyone who does will be subject to judgment. Now, you and me, we go, yep, that's right. Got it. Not going to murder anybody, at least not today. Not the, I'm a follower of Jesus. Look at how righteous and obedient I am. I am a good follower, not murdering. And we feel like we're good, kind of like the Pharisees maybe thought that they were good. And even we think, you know, I might even be just better some other people who haven't quite figured this out. I'm glad I'm not like them. You know, I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not so, so murdery. And then Jesus, he goes even further and he cuts straight to the heart of the matter because in verse 22, he said, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, wait, what? Like I got the murder thing figured out, but I'm not sure I got the anger thing figured out. Now, we all know, right, that there's different kinds of anger. Like there's a, a quick flash of anger when something bad happens, like when somebody pulls in front of you on I-35. We know that there's anger when somebody hurts you or betrays you. There's a, there's a lasting anger because of something that's happened to you in your life. There's anger that we carry over the injustices of our world. And then there's like quarantine mom anger when your kids just won't be quiet and you're stuck at home with them. We see you. 
So most of us read this passage and we go, okay, all right, so don't be angry. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna not be, Jesus says, be nice to everybody. Be kind, even if they're a little stupid, be kind to them. Essentially, just be like Miss Kim Swafford to everybody. Smile and tell them they're great. Well, we go, this is not an easy thing and people are pretty dumb sometimes, but you know what? I'm gonna give it a try. I'm gonna try not to be angry. But this text is not simply telling people to not be angry. We know that even Jesus got angry on a couple occasions. It was never for himself. It was never sinful. It was never because of his own hurt or his own need. But, but if he's not saying don't get angry, what in the world is he saying here? Well, there are two Greek words for anger in the New Testament. And the first one is this word thumos. And thumos kind of means like a quick temper, a flare up. Think about road rage. Think about when you're cruising along on I-35, you're in the left lane and you're like, I'm gonna be early to work today. It's like the first time in months, but I'm gonna be early to work today. And then you come upon that guy who's in the left lane and he will not get over. And you experience thumos. What is wrong with you? The other word is a word that's, it's uh, orgizo. Orgizo. And it means an ongoing anger. It means like when you hold a grudge. It means when you're brooding over something, you're holding on to it. So this is more like when, when a close friend, somebody that you trust, they betray you. And you just can't and you will not let that thing go. Now, it's pretty obvious that both of these angers are no good. We don't want anything to do with either one of these. But one of these angers is going to poison us. One of these angers will ruin us. And it's that second one, or gizzo. And this is the word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 5. So one scholar says that we could read this verse like this. We could say, whoever remains angry, whoever is seething, Whoever just won't let it go with a brother or sister, they will be subject to judgment. Now, I know if you're feeling like me, you're thinking, okay, easy. This is getting a little tough. I know. I I thought we were doing well, but just wait because it gets worse. Because Jesus continues on in verse 22. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus uses a word here that we obviously, we don't use much anymore, raka. You've probably never said raka to anybody at work. And if you have, I guess you must be very biblical. But in the first century, this is a four-letter word. I mean, it's still a four-letter word today, but you know, it's like a real four-letter word in their culture. It was an insult in Aramaic, and it was kind of like the sound of clearing one's throat. I guess it would be raka, I'm not sure exactly. But it was an insult, and what it meant was empty head, You were saying, you have an empty head. Now, we don't say that anymore, obviously, but we have our own ways of saying it. He's an idiot, stupid, guy's a numbskull. I don't know, does anybody say numbskull anymore? Or other words that I'm actually not gonna say here to you. But Jesus then says, and anyone who says, you fool, so not just raka, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You guys, obviously, Mr. T is in a lot of trouble here. That may be landing for some of you. That may not be landing. The word for fool is moros, and it's where we get the word moron. So raka, it's bad. It's insulting their intelligence. You're an empty head. But moros is a a fool. It's insulting their intelligence, insulting their character, saying you're not just stupid, you're worthless as a human being. And he says, if you say raka, you may have to answer to the court. And we go, okay. And he says, if you say fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. The word hell here is the word Gehenna. And everybody that was listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they would know that place probably. Most scholars believe it was a valley that was used as a dump. 
And so people would bring their waste, their garbage, and they would dump it there, and they would burn it. So there are fires burning here, burning 24-7 and burning that waste away. Now, in no way does this lessen the severity of what Jesus is saying here, because this is a picture. It's a picture of a judgment that is to come, and it's also a picture of a judgment here and now. So can we just pause here for a second and just say, doesn't this seem a little over the top? Like, call somebody a fool and you're in danger of hell? I mean, I feel like that escalated really quickly. Well, there's a commentator named R.T. France. He writes about this, and it's a little heady, but I want you to read it with me. He says, the deliberate paradox of Jesus' pronouncement is thus that ordinary insults might betray an attitude of contempt, which God takes very seriously. The total unexpected conclusion in hellfire, as Jesus is talking, it comes as a shocking jolt to the complacency of the hearer, who might have well chuckled over the incongruous image of a person being tried for anger or a conventional insult, only to be, only to be pulled up short by the saying's conclusions. In other words, we might chuckle a little bit. Oh, yeah, I insulted somebody and I'm going to have to go to the court. Oh, that's rich. But then I call somebody a fool and I'm going to go to hell. Like, that's what he's trying to emphasize here. What is Jesus doing? What Jesus is getting at is more than just anger. Jesus is actually pointing at something specific. He's talking about ongoing disdain. Jesus is describing a person who has contempt for someone else. Somebody who's living with contempt for someone else or a group of people. Contempt is when you look down on somebody. Contempt is what happens when you believe that you're better than them. Contempt is when you focus in on their flaws and you see all the things they do wrong and you ignore your own. I'm doing good. Contempt is when you create a divide between you and somebody else. And actually, contempt can even reduce somebody down to not even having the worth of a human being. Contempt is making someone or a group subhuman. And apparently, Jesus takes this very, very, very seriously. And honestly, contempt sneaks into our lives a little bit. Like, let's just do a quick contempt check really quick, all right? And follow me in the chat and let me know. Just give me a thumbs up or just yell or just say something and just see if you have experienced contempt over what I'm gonna show you. Like, when I show you this symbol right here, do any of you feel any sort of contempt? Some of you are rejoicing and saying this is the best thing ever, but, but some of you are like, no, 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 there's way better. And what you're thinking is, you think this is better. The next one. Oh, yeah, that's the one for me because I'm a Texas boy, right? And this fight goes on, and you see the other one, and somebody makes their case for the other one, and you think you have a little bit of contempt for them. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Let's go on. How about this one? Some of you see this, and you think what I think. Oh, the Lord's tech. Thank you for thine wonderful blessings. But others of you get really mad, and you think, oh, ridiculous, so lame. And so you think about this, and you're experiencing contempt right now, and you're saying, oh, you guys got widgets on your home screen? Oh, you guys get to, you get to change it around a little bit? I've been doing that for years. I've heard that a lot over the past month or so. And we have contempt for the people who have a different opinion. Okay, maybe you're not convinced yet. How about this? I show you this and some of you rejoice at home and others go, eh, I don't know, but probably most of you feel pretty happy about this. But then if I show this, some of you experience a little more of that contempt. I don't have a lot to say about this right now because if I say too much, you'll turn off the stream and stop listening to me. And maybe just one more to see, just to check yourself to see if you have any contempt. What about this? Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't see the chat from where I am, but I just got to imagine that some people have a little bit of contempt when they see 
the logo for the New England Patriots. Now, I realize that I'm using silly examples here, but the reality is it creeps in quickly on us. It creeps into a group that, that votes differently than us. It, it creeps into a group that thinks about sexuality differently than maybe we have been brought up thinking or we read in the scriptures. Contempt sneaks in and Jesus takes this seriously. So if you find this creeping into your heart today in your life, what, what do we do? What do we do with this anger? Well, Jesus continues in verse 23. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother or sister, they've got something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now we often miss this kind of thing, but Jesus, he used hyperbole a lot. And actually, I think Jesus was really funny. Because Jesus, he's preaching this message, right? Picture it. He's on the Sea of Galilee. He's right there around the Sea of Galilee. The temple where they're going to make sacrifices is in Jerusalem. And so this is, I think, like 80-mile journey. So it, could, it would take multiple days for them to walk this journey. So it could take up to 10 days to walk from where they were. And nobody's sacrificing. Nobody's going to the temple and sacrificing using Apple Pay, Nobody's texting anything. Nobody's using Venmo to get the job done. Or if you're a little tech challenged, no one's writing checks, whatever those are, and trying to pay anything. No, think of, think of an animal. They're taking an animal on that journey for all of those days. Think of something like a goat. So Jesus is saying, you get to the temple. You remember you had a fight with your neighbor. And, and they had a fight over the boundary line or something that the goat did. And, he, and so what Jesus says is, what you need to do is say, hey, Mr. Priest, Please hold my goat while I'm going to go back. And then you journey all the way back. Take that journey all the way back. You go to your neighbor and say, hey, man, I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. I apologize for what happened. Are we okay? They hug it out. And then he walks all the way back and comes and makes his sacrifice. This is what Jesus is talking about. What is Jesus saying here? Well, I think he's highlighting something that's really important for us today. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people are connected. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people are connected. Your relationship with God affects your relationship with people, and it should. And your relationship with people, it affects your relationship with God. Some of you might feel like your relationship with God is distant. Like when you read the Bible, when you, when you worship, when you pray, that nothing gets through. You're just hitting, hitting a ceiling. You feel like God's not listening. You feel like he's distant. You feel like your prayers don't reach him. It might be that you have a relationship that has some issues that need to be resolved. It could be that you're holding on to some contempt. If I find myself like that today, what am I supposed to do? Well, in verse 25, Jesus says, he gives us great advice. Settle matters quickly. With your adversary who's taking you to court, do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. And this would happen sometimes. There was a dispute, a civil dispute. Somebody needed to pay. They couldn't pay. And so they'd throw them into prison. And if the family couldn't come up with the money, they might live their whole life and die in prison over this civil matter. Jesus is saying, this stuff gets serious quick. So Jesus gives this directive. When you get angry, when you feel some contempt for a person or a group of people, when you have a fight with your spouse, when you fight with your kids, when you have an argument with your parents, go to them and settle the matter quickly. John Maxwell, actually, leadership guru, is really happy in this regard. I like how he says it. He says, shovel while the pile is small. Because when the pile gets big, it's a lot less fun 
to shovel. Just think for a second, would you, about the relationships, about the marriages, about the churches, even about the countries and the wars that could have changed if the matter was just settled quickly. Jesus says, don't wait. Go and settle the matter quickly. So, so after this section of the Sermon on the Mount, if Jesus was serious, spoiler alert, he was, how should we respond to this passage? I think there's three things before we go. Number one, we should avoid anger. Avoid it. Get rid of it. And we'd all agree that anger is not a great thing, right? Most of us, we try to make the case for some kind of righteous anger. Now, that, that's the way I operate. I, I don't get angry, but, I, but sometimes I need righteous anger. I mean, God got angry in the scriptures. Have you ever heard of the wrath of God in the Old Testament? And, and then we'd for sure bring up the overturning of the, ta- the tables with the money changers in the temple. If Jesus can have righteous anger, shouldn't I be able to follow him in the Jesus way? And the answer is, yeah, but not necessarily. Somebody with the right heart, the right training, somebody who's really mature in God can probably wield righteous anger in the correct way. But usually that's not me. Like I rarely see the whole picture in the scenario that I'm dealing with. I rarely have or understand all of the facts in the situations. So using righteous anger requires us to have a perfect vision of the situation and Jesus always does. So I trust Jesus to use righteous anger. It's just that I don't trust myself. So I'm not gonna lean into that. I've gotten it wrong too many times. I've caused too much trouble. I've hurt people over my anger, even the righteous kind. So Jesus quotes the commandment prohibiting murder right at the beginning of this, but he goes deeper. He takes us from the external act of violence down into the internal posture of our hearts from which it comes. And he says, anger is the problem. It starts with anger. Anger is destructive. Anger is what you have to avoid. Is anger always wrong? No, no, it's not. But there's no doubt that it's destructive and it's dangerous and we should avoid it. How do we do that? Well, Galatians 5, 16 has some helpful words. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, You're not under the law. The acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, there it is, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, here it is, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We don't want that to be us. But he says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Spirit gives is Love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and yeah, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look, if you've struggled with this, if you're angry, take it to God in prayer. Confess to him that you've been angry. He can handle it. And then just release it to him and ask him to help you. The second way that we should respond today, one, we should avoid anger. And the second one is we should actually, we should cancel, cancel culture. It's a major thing going on in our culture today. You look at the news, you look at social media, you just walk down the street, man. It's easy to see that our world, we are, we are addicted to outrage. And the church isn't that much different. Actually, it's not that anger and outrage are accepted in our culture. 
in our culture, anger and outrage are expected. Like if you're really committed to your cause, then you're going to have some outrage. And if you don't express outrage, they are going to express outrage at your lack of outrage. This is what we're living in today. We live in a day where people get canceled by what they said or what they did not say. Plenty of recent stories that we could point to where somebody said something on Twitter and they lost everything. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, you, me, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So here's what I think. Christians don't cancel people. We do not cancel people. If you're a follower of Jesus, we do not cancel people. We might opt out of some things. We might say no to certain things or circumstances, but we don't cancel people. Why? Because Jesus gives grace and forgiveness and you've received it and they get to receive it too. Everybody has the opportunity to change and you don't know what the story is that God has planned for those people. We don't cancel people because they are all made in the image of God. So if we're going to take this serious, this idea of contempt, we need to cancel cancel culture. And this kind of leads us to the third thing, and we'll end on this today. We don't cancel people because we see everybody is valuable. Everybody is valuable. In this passage, Jesus talks about a, a more a different and more severe form of anger, this contempt. Contempt is so bad because it diminishes the inherent value of the other person. It's looking at people as less than human, not even worthy of my anger. You are excluded from being worthy of my care, of my thought, or even just basic dignity. This whole thing, for me, it just hits too close to home. It's all too common for us to devalue person or people who think differently than us. We devalue them because they have a political view that's different than ours. Because they're from a different ethnic background. They grew up different than I did because of their view on sexuality, because of their economic status, because of their religious tradition that they grew up in. The difficult reality for us today is that many of our media and political leaders, they actually build followers this way. Now, we should all be wise and discerning. We don't just go along with everybody, but we cannot let our loyalty to a group or to a certain set of ideas, breed contempt for the people who disagree with us. We can't live that way. Justice Antonin Scalia died in 2016. He was actually celebrated by conservatives, and he was dreaded by progressives. But both sides saw his brilliance and his sharpness. But he was beloved, actually, by even his opponents. Here's what he said. He said, I attack ideas. I don't attack people. I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have very bad ideas. And if you can't separate the two, you gotta get another day job, man. And I think this is really good counsel. We, no matter what our beliefs, we need to follow this example. Here's what Romans 12, 14 through 18 says. You should bless those who persecute you. You should bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Here it is. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
You're going to run into some people that are reasonable. You're going to run into some people that are unreasonable, and it can't be helped. But as far as it depends on you, Paul says, you should live at peace with everyone. Look, cultivating anger towards somebody is dangerous. But having contempt towards somebody is even worse. Because the goal of contempt is ignoring them altogether. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy, he explains why contempt is worse. He says, in anger, I want to hurt you. In contempt, I don't care whether you're hurt or not, or at least so I say. You're not worthy of consideration one way or the other. We can be angry at someone without denying their worth. That's true. But contempt makes it easier for us to hurt them or see them further degraded. When we hold contempt for somebody, we believe that they are unworthy of our attention. They become invisible to us. They're just background objects. I don't hate them. I don't love them. But if they interfere with what I'm doing, then they should be, they should be disposed of. And here's what author and pastor Sky Jatani has to say about that idea. Any heart that feels so indifferent towards those created in God's image cannot be suitable for God's kingdom. Nobody should ever be invisible to you and to me because nobody's invisible to Jesus. No one is unworthy of his time and attention and love. We have to rid ourselves, one chapel, of every single bit of contempt. You know, we're in this unusual season that's full of contempt, full of outrage, full of cancel culture. We got outrage over COVID-19. We got outrage over opening or closing. We got outrage over restaurants and bars. We have outrage over face masks. Are you a face masker or are you an anti-face masker? And we have contempt for people on the other side. And you also know what season that we're entering into right now. No, it is not pumpkin spice latte season, although we are doing that too. I'm talking about the election. And this outrage and this contempt, you look at it, it's everywhere you look. But did you know that political diversity actually existed even among Jesus' closest followers? You've got Simon, who's a zealot, and so he fights against the government. He wants to push back even with force. You've got Simon the zealot, and then you've got Matthew the tax collector, who actually helped and worked for the government. So on Jesus' main team, he's got liberals, he's got conservatives, but they were united. They were unified. And do you know what united them? It was their love for Jesus. It was their passion and devotion for Jesus. And you and I, we can do the same in this season and far beyond. We can cancel, cancel culture. We can live above contempt. Listen, this is not about politics. This is about relationships. This is about families. This is about marriages. This is about certain people groups. This is about our whole lives. Imagine, One Chapel, if this week we all decided, hundreds and hundreds of us, we're gonna take Jesus seriously on contempt. We're gonna correct relationships that have been broken. We're gonna have conversations that are uplifting and helpful. We're gonna allow Jesus to deal with us and we're gonna get rid of contempt out of our lives and out of this church. It will not be here. Do you know what that would look like across this region? I'll tell you, that would look like the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus is talking about as he gives this description of life in the kingdom. Would you close your eyes real quick as we, as we bow your heads as we, as we close here? Just where you are from, wherever you're watching, wherever you're worshiping from, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Just ask him, is there somewhere in my life that I'm living with contempt? Is there a person or a relationship that I need to go and settle the matter quickly? 
Is there a people group, a group of people, a segment of our society that I have treated with contempt and I didn't even realize it until right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, across one chapel, we repent. We repent of our contempt. We repent of ignoring people. We repent of even subconsciously treating people as if they were subhuman. And we decide today that we want to see everybody like you see them. They are made in your image. You love them. They are worthy of your time and love and attention. And therefore, they are worthy of ours. Would you put this in the soil of one chapel? Would you help us to live without contempt, without anger? Would you help us to cancel, cancel culture? And help us to live for you in your kingdom in this way. Jesus, we love you. We commit this to you. Would you reveal these people over this week? And would you give us the strength and the courage and the determination to have every conversation that we need to and bring healing to our region? We thank you for these things and we ask them in the name of Jesus. And everybody from home said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming and hanging out worshiping today. I'm gonna say this prayer over you and then I want you to go have an incredible week and live in the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace, one chapel. Have a great Sunday.